0: hello and welcome to the replatform podcast this is now episode 15. the episodes are mounting up and we've got a really interesting episode ahead for you. We're going to be chatting with Neil Holland who's solution architect at Burberry and we're going to be talking around the fun and games of uh, big in- implementation integration projects and drawing on his experience from work with a lot of really cool brands in a solution architect capacity So first of all let's uh, let's check on my co-host Paul. how are you doing today Paul?
1: I'm very well how are you?
0: Yeah, good. I'm really looking forward to this. I know that, that you and Neil have uh, have crossed paths before and worked together on a project, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Neil and I worked together a few years back at Wills, and then since then he's gone on to work on or work for a number of other really interesting brands. Um, so Neil, why don't you start by giving us a bit of an introduction on you and some of the retailers you've worked with?
2: Sure, hi guys, uh, it's nice to be here. Um, so as Paul mentioned, uh, we worked together a few years ago um, on Jack Will's re-platform to Demandware. Uh, prior to that, uh, there was uh, a company called Penland Brands doing a re-platform of their um, WebSphere Commerce from uh, our version six to version seven, um, which back then was quite current. Um, Ted Baker, uh, Charlotte Tilbury, and uh, most recently now at uh, Burberry.
1: Brilliant. And um, so I'll kick things off with the first question. So I know you work on a lot of big integration projects between a wide range of different systems. How would you generally start when you're scoping out a new integration?
2: Um, I, I suppose it depends on how big the, the project is and really what you're looking at doing uh, and also what what's already in place. So, uh, I suppose if you, you want to, your starting point is what you already have there uh, maybe
1: start with um something of like an econ platform and you're moving or and you've got an existing erp and then you're moving to a new econ platform um how would you generally kind of approach a situation like that
2: okay so yeah scope out what integrations you already have if you have any at all um I must be some things like orders or um, inventory product information that kind of thing what are the essential pieces of information that each integration is going to transmit across the formats, uh, how frequently that happens. Um, Make sure you've got all of that stuff clearly documented and captured, because the last thing you want to do is lose any of that when you transition to your new integration on your new platform. Uh, And then maybe have a look at what else is available. What other integration points are there on your new econ platform that maybe your current one doesn't serve Um, extra information. You can get out of that, and then that just helps your business run uh, more effectively. Um, and then maybe have a look at what else can be improved for uh, later down the line. What are the current pain points that the business has around integrations? What information would they like to get out of um, the econ platform into the ERP or vice versa that maybe they can't do right now? Stock uh, or up to date stock is always a good one, and the frequency of that. So that's maybe how I would, at a high level, sort of start to roadmap things out and then drill into the detail from the
0: And when you're going through this process, I'm always really interested in the discovery process. Having worked on a lot of projects, same same with you and Paul, discovery process is never uniform. How people approach it, what effort they put in, what they prioritize always varies. So for you and what you've learned over the years, what does good discovery look like? How do you approach that process and what do you normally focus on first?
2: I think good discovery, I think the key thing for good discovery is that you can't rush it. Um, you know the old saying of a stitch in time saves nine the the more time you spend on discovery the less time you're going to waste in future maybe unpicking decisions that were made uh, in haste assumptions that were based on things that you never really uh, delved into um yeah and then just again just map things out bit by bit get everyone involved with that particular area in a room talk it through map the flow out completely so that everyone's on the same page as to what they're expecting to happen at the start and end of that process for that integration um, and then i suppose it's also help, helpful to frame it from a business context of what what value are we looking to get out of this integration um, what, you know what's the business process it's driving and then from there you can sometimes tease out some key details that might otherwise be missed
1: Um, I I guess touching on um, what you just said there and I know you've worked with quite a few multi-channel brands and retailers. Mm -hmm. Um, You talked about kind of bringing people together and getting everyone in a room. Who are some of the kind of main stakeholders for that example that I talked about earlier. So integrating kind of maybe an ERP or an OMS with a new econ platform. Who are some of the stakeholders that'd be most relevant?
2: okay so yeah so for that, that example let's let's take erp um, as it's something that's quite relevant to my uh, recent um, history uh, finance are absolutely critical uh, in that in that meeting um, when you're talking orders and, and movement of money um, between customers into a business they want to make sure that everything that's happening uh, on your econ platform is being reflected back into their erp similarly for inventory need to make sure that what the stock value you're holding on your books is accurately reflected uh, in your e-comm system that what you're saying to customers is available is there uh, so customer service probably also quite ha- handy to have involved you know what what are the things that they uh, have customers call up uh, quite frequently about how many orders are you um short picking because the inventory's not right on your e-comm front end those are the kinds of things i would uh look to look to get the right people in the room for. So uh, finance, customer service, and your, your warehouse, your uh, fulfillment guys uh, are key there as well. So you've got those, those sort of three people, I would say, uh, or those three groups of people, I would say, are quite critical.
0: The question uh, leads on to that for me, Neil, if you don't mind, is mm. documentation, I, I've been in a lot of um, heated discussions about the right way to document what's captured from a business process and requirements point of view out of, out of discovery. What what have you found that works for you and works for the teams that, that you're leading? So, is there a specific type of um, format? You know, use case models, user stories, how do you normally like to work?
2: It's, it's a very good question, because I think it's, as you say, it's varied everywhere that I've been. Um, and I think every, yeah, everywhere has its own sort of like different variation or on the same theme, whether it's user stories whether they're trying to represent a business requirement or a customer requirement. Um, and they can be quite, quite different things. It's trying to, I haven't always been on the client side as well, rather than the sort of anything sort of from a consultancy It's kind of, well, what's the business used to, and then trying to adapt that as opposed to trying to impose anything that's radically different so that people are familiar with it, familiar as they can be with it so that the, they don't question it too much. Um, so there's a fine line between trying to, I think, change the the way that requirements are recorded um, to fit what you know as against to, um, what people might be used to or, or, or reflect the wording that they might be um, familiar with. I don't know if that's properly answered your question, but...
0: Yeah, no, I, I think definitely, uh, I guess that, that flexibility is quite important because if you try and impose a method on people that they don't like and aren't used to, it can actually put more barriers into the process. So yeah, that does, that does make sense.
2: Okay. But I mean, personally, uh, I have a preference for user stories for caption requirements, whether that's from a customer perspective, so completely solution agnostic. This is what I want to do as a customer. This is the end result I get versus more of a business requirement of this is what we would like to happen. And maybe how we would like it to happen, um, to a point. It, it just depends on then how you break that down to uh, the technical tasks for your developers to deliver. Um, and that's where the, that's where the, the key bit really is there. It's just, um, however you capture those requirements is just translating that to a technical task
0: for someone to uh, deliver. Yeah, that does make sense. If you capture and user stories, then it's closer to being ready for development guidelines. Mm. So yeah. Um, I'd quite like to come back to the, you uh, made a few, um, interesting points around integrations in ERP, etc. Mm. So I'd love to probe a little bit further, if you don't mind, on ERP and OMS integrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the stuff that I normally find comes up is that people talk about you know, data transfers, and there never seems to be a common view of should that be batched? Should it be every 15 minutes? Should it be real time? If it's real time, is that a um, impact on performance for constant polling? Do you have a preference from a solution architecture point of view about frequency of data transfers, which systems should be in control and masters of the data? Oh probably some very
2: strong views on some of that. Um,
0: Go go forth with the strong views, we like strong views.
2: (laughs) At the risk of sitting on on the fence to begin with, the answer is it depends. Um, Depending on the data that's going across that integration, as to whether it should be or whether it's best to go batch or real time um, i suppose always look at the impact to the business of if it's real time what value does that drive is it worth having that information come in real time will it allow you to do anything differently that will affect the bottom line uh, if it doesn't you can probably batch it uh, taking that bottom line part of it to one side the customer experience as well uh will it matter if that order goes to the warehouse or your OMS in real time uh or can it wait five or ten minutes um what you know what's the impact there on getting that order out the door or having that hit your uh, OMS um and there are other questions to follow up on that uh so if it's real time will it consume your inventory in real time versus if it's batch how do you then handle uh, conflicts of inventory against orders if you're low on stock um also, source, So, and then systems of record, that's a very important question to get answered uh, as early as possible. Um, it depends how you manage your business and, and I suppose and what other integrations you've got going on, but I suppose financially, you're, you'd want your ERP to be your master of record. Um, inventory could sit in your OMS, maybe should sit in your OMS if you have one, uh, or your ERP depending on how you how you operate, um, and that's I suppose going to depend then on on, on your integrations going out to your e com platform um, and how up, how um, how quick they need to be. Um, an anecdote I have around sort of real time versus batch. I suppose uh, I think this is maybe more of a technical example, but um, it, whilst it may seem the, a great idea to have everything real-time and there's lots of technology out there that lets us do that with uh, queuing and so on um the underlying infrastructure that supports that needs to be considered and i suppose properly low tested especially if you're going to move from a batch uh, system, uh, batch um, processing to real-time processing uh how long that those processes take to run is important so if it's batch you know it takes a long time Fine. It takes a long time, and then it will fetch the next batch um, based on maybe a, a timestamp or something like that. But when you move to real time, and those processes haven't changed, they still take the same amount of time. Then you could have, if you're allowing um, sort of parallel processing, you could have a, a lot of processes running at any one time, and then you may hit a ceiling on sort of the number of processes that are you're allowed to run concurrently. Especially if you're on a SaaS platform, um, that can happen if you're not careful and then you, you're sort of in a, in a different um, you've got a different problem to deal with where it's not just well my processes are taking a long time but you know orders are getting through eventually you've got my processes are uh, taking a long time and now i'm stuck because i can't run anymore um and then orders are still backing up so it, it's uh it, it's just weighing up the pros and cons of each it's sort of if it ain't broke don't fix it uh unless there's a really valid business case for doing so
0: yeah a lot I think the it depends answer is uh, is often the the best answer to start with um, I often do that as a consultant and then <laughs> clarify what that really means because I, I yeah I guess that's never a hundred percent right answer but interesting to hear your views on batch versus real time because it's something I often struggle with when uh, people have strong views in one way or another
2: yeah I, a lot of people do I think um you know a lot of people say real time because we can. Um, I mean again but does that mean that we should just because we can if there's no business value to it you know what will it allow us to do differently and if they can't answer that then there's probably not a good reason for
0: it yeah I, I like that way of framing it actually is is what's the business case for doing it is is there a, a critical issue that needs to be un, unpicked or is there a business advantage and if not then why do it you could focus effort elsewhere
2: yeah you know it, it, absolutely and if you you know if maybe um take take a real life example it's coming towards the end of your next day delivery window for example and you want to make sure you get as many orders through to your warehouse as possible you've got a 20 minute 15 minute um window for your batch normally maybe if your system allows it you can run that a couple of minutes more frequently towards the end of the day just so you get a few more orders through. you know that, that that's always an option it's not real time but you're kind of um, pushing it as many through as you can just by running that batch a bit more frequently at that particular time of day.
1: Um, I have a question. So, sure. loosely tying back into some of the points you talked about there. So, do you have a preferred route for integrating econ platforms and an ERP? So, that being kind of a piece of middleware um, or API connections or flat files? Like, <coughs> um, yeah, what's your preferred approach there? And what do you see as like the main benefits?
2: Uh I think th- this is something that really comes down to business capability and who's
1: going to be running
2: that that route um for you as a business. If you've got resource in-house that are tech savvy enough to maybe not build the integration from the ground up but to maintain it, then um sort of a, an iPass solution, either Ulsoft or or Dell Boomi, something like that, could be um good enough. Um There are plenty of plugins, um, one of the better description out there that will help you uh, hook up your ERP to certainly a lot of the e-com platforms that are out there. Um, Just some of the gotchas on those is that they are, I suppose a couple of the ones I've encountered are quite tech focused. So it will tell you that something has gone wrong. It won't necessarily guide you through what you need to do to correct that issue and you may, as a business user, be faced with a, uh, a large JSON file or XML object that, unless you, you're you familiar with these things, may take you a little while to work out what to do um, and how to go about fixing it. So it's yeah, I mean, I've used uh, plugins, um, iPaaS solutions, um, sort of direct APIs, flat files, all variations of it in, in the past. Um, but it just comes down to business capability, I think, at the end of the day, as to what I would recommend uh, for someone. Because what's right for um, some people isn't right for others. It just depends, I, I suppose, again, sitting on the fence. That makes sense.
1: Um, so <laughs> yeah, on a couple of projects recently, I've been working more with iPath Solutions. and It feels like that's um, the way that a lot of uh, businesses are going. Mm. Um, if there were more systems involved, would you be more likely to look at that kind of route?
2: yeah so i what i like about um say iPaaS as a as a solution to all the, to some of these things is you, you can make it i suppose as complicated as you want uh, or put as much through it as you want depending on, on how the licensing works for you but um certainly i've seen it where we've had flat file integrations to to warehouses go through and iPAS. we've had uh api calls go through we've set up webhooks for incoming traffic. Um, so, I mean, they're a handy solution. I think, again, if you've got a team that can help you manage that, or you're paying the vendor for support, uh, on that, they're a really useful tool to have um, because a lot of them come with pre-built connectors that you can just sort of deploy and you don't have to worry about uh, configuring something for a new system because yeah. quite a lot of these systems are already catered for uh, all, you know. On their roadmap to to cover them off soon, so uh, they're they're a nice, easy way to to stand something up quickly if you've got the resource to be able to uh, to, to dive in and um, get yeah to get stuck in.
1: Yeah, yeah. One of the things. So one of the ones that I've been playing about with a little bit, and um, it's probably a bit lower end, so I don't know if you will have uh, been exposed to it before. um, It's integrated.io from Saligo. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One of the things that I really like about that is uh, so I was working on I was working with a retailer who was a bit smaller. Um, and there were various kind of systems involved, so WMS, OMS, and um, the econ platform. And then we decided to put a new CRM in and we were able to just integrate directly with integrate.io and get it set up like within a few hours, um, which ended up being really useful. And since then we've done a few other little bits with it, um, just kind of creating logic and kind of passing a few kind of custom fields between different, um, systems. And it's just so much, e- it just feels so much easier to work with. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's been a that is definitely been a good thing for me recently.
0: Yeah,
2: a- absolutely. I mean, th- you know, there's uh, that's one good example. I have come across it in the past. Um, I think it was NetSuite to Magento that used uh, an Integrator IO uh, plugin. Yeah. So uh, I am I'm familiar with that. Yeah, they're 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 a good option.
1: Yeah, they seem to be quite. They seem to work a lot with NetSuite. I think mm. generally seem to be like the partner that most people work with on that side mm-hmm. um another question so some of the biggest issues that i've had with clients in the past from an erp standpoint has been things like creating bomb skews um the way that things like line items have been kind of assigned uh, or on discounts and whatever else um and then also reporting around some of those areas um how would you scope out issues like that going into a brand new integration
2: yeah <clears throat> so i think it will come back comes back to the point i uh, made earlier it's just spending that time up front um if you have these integrations already just make sure it's really clear um to whoever's handling that new integration or that new platform that this is how um you currently work these are the things you you need uh, and this is how you process them things like uh, certainly like bombs is is a, a great example um line item discounts um and also i think tax is something i've come across uh, yeah. in the past where uh in in the uk we have um, we don't charge tax on child children's clothing under i think it's 14 years old um but a lot of retailers have a single product which splits which goes across that that, that sort of tax delineation um, and they manage that at SKU level whereas some uh econ platforms i've come across manage that uh, tax classification at a product level so you either then have to split your product out into two different products and work out how you manage that in your integration or come up with a different way of managing that um that split of tax so that said, that's a, an interesting interesting case uh, but but there's, there's many others it's just again having that full spending that, spending that time up front to really talk through this these requirements and the impact on the business if this isn't done and i think it, it's maybe more key to focus on um the things that will have impact on the business if you can't do them as opposed to the nice to haves because it could, the new platform can can do this new shiny thing
1: yeah that makes sense
0: and have you had any specific um challenges between different types of systems and platforms like any any common um, challenges you come across where they typically add more complexity in a project, and you've either had to de-scope or rethink how you do integrations. Um, I know you just given a really good example from a product and SKU level. I'm thinking about like bigger systems. Is it typically the ERP integration or is it CRMs? Where where do you find things are not quite as simple as people would like us to believe? Oh, it's definitely between uh, ERP and ecom. Uh, absolutely, this is
2: there's a lot more... oh, I think
0: we've just lost your
2: mic. Hello?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's better. Amazing.
2: Marvellous. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely between um, e-com and ERP, I would say. It's sort of the biggest ones, just because uh, I suppose if people have been on ERP longer, that they tend to model their business around that ERP's capabilities, what it can do, how it models things. Um, and then that then drives how they represent, say, products in in other parts of their uh, their system landscape. So, I'd um, say so that's definitely where most people sort of uh, get caught up.
0: Caught uh, what, really. what is your advice? Because a lot of the time I see project plans that are quite ambitious to go live with an MVP, for example, within three months. But then you see a, a a big enterprise ERP lurking in the backgrounds, whether that's uh, imagine a net suite um with quite a, a aggressive timelines to get an integration done so do you do you advise people to um, extend project plans unless there's a critical time both or do you normally say to people that de scope things from an ERP integration for MVP <laughs> and then incrementally add in until you get all the functionality you want
2: That's a really good question um i i sometimes i struggle with the concept of mvp on a re-platform in this sort of particular uh, use case because it to your point it does come then down to we've got a timeline to hit we need to start de-scoping functionality and that's difficult because if you're re-platforming it implies you've already got some functionality on an existing platform that's live and as soon as you start descoping, potentially there's an impact to your customer And that's something that in my mind should be avoided. So it's, it's very difficult when there is a deadline to hit. And I suppose, yeah, you then you do need to start kind of de-scoping or working out what you, what you can pull out of that um, development to to hit at a later date. Um, But I suppose to, to try and avoid that, it's, where is that deadline come from? If it's kind of an arbitrary, uh, deadline because we you know we want to go in live in that month because there's nothing else going on then is to try and push back on that as, as strongly as possible um, and advise that you know there's a lot more complexity to this than just hitting your your replat uh, replatforming this you've got the downstream um, systems to consider your OMS or your ERP you've got to make sure those are both sufficiently tested are there any changes that need to happen in those systems um it, it does make things a lot trickier um especially when you've got a short time scale um and maybe your delivery partner in your econ platform isn't familiar with that particular erp so they've got to do a whole load more learning around what its capabilities are how they can integrate with it and what they need to do to maybe translate the data that they can pull out of their apis to match your erp's apis uh, if there are any so it's just trying to get that uh, um, that they just just trying to de-risk really again it's just that i suppose it's coming back to spending time in discovery before you commit to a timeline is um is what i would suggest if, if you can if it's too late then uh, i suppose i just wish you good luck
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice fate to listen to. yeah and i don't say you're saying because they're, they're, i guess the reality with something as critical as an erp is when you start de-scoping you as you said you can have a material impact on the customer service or even Internal process like financial reporting reconciliation, which can then screw up other areas of the business. So have you got, is is there anything that you've learned over the years that helps speed up the process when working with like an ERP provider? Are there any critical discussions you should have first before you look at all the other capabilities within ERP?
2: Uh, I, I suppose it's know what you want, which is an extremely tricky question to answer. Um, make sure you've got your requirements clearly mapped out. Uh, as as much as possible what you know what are the key capabilities within the business your business that you want this new platform to be able to deliver um you know over and above what you, any current system can do but what are the processes that support and underpin how your business works and um, needs to be able to work and function and operate that this erp needs to do um, And then from there, work out how it's going to do it for you based around all the other systems it's got to integrate with.
0: I think that's quite a nice point, actually, because a lot of the times client teams haven't prepared enough about mapping and defining their processes so that they go into discovery. And then you've got a time lag whilst those processes get defined and discussed and reviewed. So I guess that's a really nice takeaway for anyone listening in client side is go into discovery with as much process documentation and mapping as you can possibly bring. Yeah, completely. completely.
1: Um, I have a question. So I've had a few situations over the last few years where clients have wanted to move both ERP and e-commerce platform at the same time. What's your general view on this? If you had the option, is this something you would advise against generally or is it something that you're quite pro? Um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, if you can possibly avoid it, I, I would
2: strongly suggest that, that you do, um, if that's not possible, then I suppose it you know that, that the documentation and requirements and co- become even more critical. But I think over and above that, it, it's coordination and communication between everyone that, that's involved is going to make or break that um, that those projects. Just making sure that everyone is completely aligned as to what the other's milestones are what they need to be able to deliver to those milestones. Um, yeah, that, that, I mean, that that's it. To distill it in, in, into that, really. It's just coordination and communication. Yeah, that making makes sure everyone's on the same page.
1: I have. um, So there was a project once where I was really nervous. um, So it's quite a tight deadline. And I was really against the idea of doing both at the same time. And there was no real need to do both at the same time. And then it did actually end up being a really positive thing. So they hit their deadline. Um, and although they ended up doing a bit of an MVP on the e platform side, um, I think it did really benefit them because then they were in a position where they could kind of really push the like new kind of net new features and development side of things rather than just going straight into another massive IT project.
2: Mm. I, I mean, you know, that there are, if, if you can get it right, there are absolutely benefits as, as, as you um, sort of alluded to, you can then start to deliver value against those new platforms. Uh, and I think that's the, what makes it attractive um, yeah, for people to attempt is the fact that, we you know, once we're on, we can do all these nice new things. It'll be great. But you've just got to manage it really carefully.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. That's, that's just sent
0: shivers down my spine. The The thought of having, having seen some of the chaos of people's internal dev teams being so stretched that they can't f- focus on on two massive projects. Mm. Good, good luck to people doing that. I, I can understand the, the, the benefits you're talking about, though. I just don't want to work on one of those projects. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah. Not again. I, uh, that leads me on nicely to the, the, the last question I've got um, there, which is, I know you've talked a little bit about this in, in, in some of the previous answers, but what are the most common risks that, that you see screwing up projects that people need to, to mitigate against, you know, I know you talked about things like getting the right people involved is critical but anything else that we not talked about we think i see this time and time again it can derail projects think about it
2: uh, lack of communication lack of lack of coordination um not built here syndrome so you know well, why are we going out to buy that we can build it you convince somebody that you can build it and then you can't hit a deadline and then become a blocker for everyone uh, everything around you um that that's yeah, that, that can that gets in the way. Um what else? Like a lack of documentation, nothing's written down, so you're relying on what's in somebody's head. Maybe when they used to do that process like a couple of years ago, and it's maybe changed. Um yeah, I would say and yeah, I think mean, that's that's probably some of the, the, the bigger things I would think. It's just that lack of coordination. Um in trying to get things done and um, people maybe siloing information because they are all their resource because they want to deliver their part of the project on time not realizing that has a knock-on effect somewhere else
0: yeah i think the communication one's a really nice one to pull out because it's amazing even little things are not having a proper kickoff session with all the stakeholders so that they know what the project is how it's going to be delivered what their roles and responsibilities are and then that le- that frames everyone up front to to be ready for it, rather than people sitting in a room in a meeting going, "Why am I here?" And you go, "Oh, what? Didn't you know why you're here?"
2: Yeah. Well, I suppose even worse is when you've you've left someone off of that initial kickoff, and then further down the road they say, "Ah, oh, but what about this?" And then you've got to go back to the drawing board because some important piece of information um, or, or certain needs development wasn't wasn't captured. So uh, yeah, it's just get everyone the right people in the room ask 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 again are you sure this is everyone and then uh, just documenting everything as much as you can in as much detail as you can
1: that makes sense um so i have one final question um what tips do you have for people that are looking at their integrations as part of replatforming their e-commerce platform um, are there any kind of things that you've done in the past that have had or the clients <coughs> of yours or businesses you've worked with um that have had a really positive effect
2: Uh, I suppose, yeah, document uh, your outcome, you know, what is it you you want to achieve with this, this particular integration. Um, Plan it out, I suppose, backwards. So if we were to launch on this date, uh, what needs to happen um, for us to hit that date, i.e. is it achievable? Don't just pick a date out. Don't plan forwards, but plan, I suppose, plan backwards, uh, if possible, and, and communicate it out. Make sure that everyone that could be impacted by that particular change uh, is aware that it's happening they don't necessarily need to be involved in every meeting but just aware that something's happening that it's coming up again so that they can chip in if they have an important bit of context that you weren't previously aware of um discovery so so important there's been uh, instances where i've come across an integration for something but in reality the integration doesn't work for the uh, say use cases of the business um an example, I suppose, would be uh, GIF messaging of, I, um, I think it was Magento M1, where you can capture a GIF message with a to and from uh, on the front end, which is fantastic. But when the order gets sent via the API, you just get the GIF message, you don't get the to and the from. So there's some customization additional to the integration that you need to factor in um, to things like that. So it's that's where it comes down to your, your documentation. It's uh, we do this, this is the information we expect to get in this integration. Um, what's that going to impact? Is it, you know, is it out of the box? Do we need to do any customization here? Um, and ideally, you want to try and keep things as out of the box as possible to help speed up your delivery. But, uh, you know, if you know where you're going to need to customize things, you can then prioritize your customization based on the impact of the business.
0: And um, yeah, and then just try and look as far ahead as possible to plan these things out. Excellent. um that all my questions have been covered uh paul did you have you got anything else you want to ask, or has that given you uh, what you needed to get?
1: No, I think that's brilliant yeah, we covered some really interesting areas and some really good advice now great
0: yeah, really appreciate it Thank, thanks for taking the time to come on um and for sharing that i I think this has been a really useful episode There's been lots of practical advice and it's it's really good to get advice from somebody who's been hands on at the coal face across multiple. Big brands and projects, so I appreciate you uh, being on the podcast. No worries, thanks for having me, guys. And uh, thanks to everybody, as always, for listening. If uh, if anyone wants to follow up and ask any more questions, Neil, um, are they able to shamelessly tap you up?
2: Yeah, no worries. I think LinkedIn or normal social channels are probably your best bet. Yeah. Uh,
0: What's What's your preferred social channel?
2: Uh, I probably LinkedIn. I guess I barely use Twitter, um, okay. probably okay. this day and age,
0: but there we go. So if anyone wants to give Neil a shout, it's Neil Holland. He's on LinkedIn. Look him up. Um, and yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. If you've got any questions for me and Paul, um, fire across to us through social channels as well. And keep your ears peeled for the next podcast.